title is Intentional Father, if you did not grab that or uh, understand that from what Doug just presented. But hello, happy Father's Day. We, we really do. We celebrate all the men in our lives. Uh, you know, we, we just consider how to, as we consider how to love God, love all people, and follow Jesus, uh, let's consider on this Father's Day how our Heavenly Father has loved us with great intention and how he desires for us to be men and fathers of great intentionality. So let's just talk about that. But before I do, and if you haven't grasped this, I want to kind of revisit this from time to time, uh, how we take a look at the Word of God. We hold the Word of God unwaveringly, we hold to the Word of God unwaveringly with a conviction that it's inspired by God himself. And it is the final authority on all faith and practice. Our way is to fully align our lives and our movement on the unshakable foundation of God's word. Uh, so maybe we don't say that enough, but the word is our guide. It's instructive to us. And so even today, we look at it with uh, great anticipation and expectation that we'll learn something new even today. I want to take a look at a couple of verses. Genesis chapter 1, verses 27. You may be familiar with these passages. Uh, God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Uh, The second verse is this. The Lord placed man, or Adam, we're going to get into that a little bit, in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. So out of these two verses, just right at the top, we can determine a few things about uh, some, some items in there. That God created mankind, human beings, Adam. Uh, so we often ascribe the term Adam to Adam, man, but truly the term Adam in its original Hebrew form is relating to mankind wholly. Uh, there is a Uh, obviously we get into chapter 3 and then there becomes a naming of those human beings in their place. But he created both of them, male and female. Uh, Men and women are made in his image. And God placed Adam, I use that on intention, with, with responsibilities. He placed Adam, human beings, in the garden with responsibilities turn to chapter 3, maybe a little bit later, we're not going to go there now, but we recognize that man or humans or human beings abdicated their, their responsibilities to, uh, to, to do what God had asked out of rebellion and their desire for their own autonomy. Uh, first, the first man, Adam, failed in his responsibilities because of rebellion. His desire to be like God, to walk as an equal, not as an image bearer of the one, like what was already described. He said they were bearing the image of, but they wanted to be just like him. Satan's words and Adam's desires, man and woman's desires intertwined there, were to be found in in his words to them, right? There are this temptation to give way to sin. God knows 
Satan says, that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. The desire is for us, as a few weeks ago, I made a point of saying we don't walk beside God, we follow Jesus. We make that clear. It it is the same here that while they walked in the cool of the evening, there there was this place and space where God was taking care of everything. The Father was taking care of everything. And he desires to do the same thing for us. But due to that human rebellion, our desire, and yes, it is our desire to have equality with God, we are separated from God. But Jesus, but Jesus, Jesus, God's one and only son, died for our sins to restore our relationship and make Make all things new, which has been broken through the complete corruption of sin. Everything thoroughly corrupted. Nothing untouched. Uh, Deshaun stated earlier, you know, slavery was part of that corruption. Everything broken that God made beautiful. And it is through this, just jumping in probably a little bit of thought, it is through this corruption of sin we have lost and are losing our clear understanding of what it means to be a man and what it means to be a father. It's through that sin, through that corruption and the continual slide therein and abandoning the truth of the word of God that we're losing what it means to be a man and a father in our day. So... To borrow deeply from John Tyson's book, of which I'll talk about in a little bit, uh, which I think he did an absolute uh, phenomenal job to help frame some things for us uh, in our families and creating men. He defines a man this way. A man is an image bearer and a son of God entrusted with the power and responsibility to create, cultivate, care, and defend for God's glory and the good of others. I I just love that definition that he has written in his book. I think it's a solid definition and does not fall into, may I just say this, does not fall into stereotypes that we often find ourselves in conversations about. And I think that's crucial in our day and age, but it's also centrist to the scriptures. I think it's central to the scriptures. So this definition If we may, we're going to borrow from John Tyson today. This definition of a man has been broken by sin and human and our corruption of the world. Manhood in itself has been corrupted. And so has fatherhood then by its very nature. Uh, Take a look at Merriam-Webster's dictionary definition of what a father is. Uh, A male parent. Okay, thanks. A man who has begotten a child. Yep, that's true. Uh, To be the founder or producer of. Lacks something of substance, doesn't it? Right? This technically correct, uh, biologically true, these sterile definitions lose the essence of what a father is, correct? And let me tell you why we know this to be true. It's not because we've read it in a book. Uh, It's because our hearts tell us that. Our hearts on maybe on a day like today, 
our hearts long and hunger for a father we did not have. A father that was not a, only a biological father, uh, a father who was not only there, but we hungered for something that this father may not have been able to fulfill. We can even go so far as maybe not even should have fulfilled, but our longings tell us that there's something more than just what this Merriam-Webster's dictionary definition tells us. There's this legitimate hunger and longing that, may I say, can only and solely will be found in our Heavenly Father, and especially in the day post-Genesis 3, or post-Genesis 2, I should say. There's only one place we're going to find a heavenly father that's going to fulfill all of the longings, all of the desires that we have. And it's going to be found in him and him alone. It is a common occurrence, though, as humans, to place way too many expectations in one place and on one person or one thing, right? You know, you, you, you buy a shiny car, and you want that car not only to drive you from, from A to B, but you want that car to give you status. You want it to give you some kind of prestige. You want it to give you some kind of something that it's not, that's not what it's created for. It's created to get you from A to B. It's created to move. It's the same way we do with uh, sometimes in relationships, right? We, we put too much weight. It is the same way sometimes, in our relationships with others. We just ask way too much of some of the things we're asking for. Now, I'm not advocating a father's role. We'll get into that. But what I am saying is sometimes in our hunger and loss for what a father may, have be, may be or even what a man should be, we may be putting wrong definitions or wrong expectations on them. I mean, it's, it's our desire. As we prayed earlier, and I prayed earlier, Seek the kingdom above all else. That is where you will find the everything that you need. It's in him and him alone and following him in his kingdom. So as we think about a father and we think about a father in terms of a biblical framework of a father, what scripture gives to us, what are two guardrails that I think, uh, I believe, are uh, guides to becoming the intentional fathers that we hungered for and the intentional fathers we want to become, I think there are two. First one is submission. Submission. Uh, we just spoke about it. It's the submission to God himself as the father of all things, that he has wisdom that we need to glean from him. He, he is, he's the guide for us and to us. And yet, too many times we, uh, we miss the opportunity. We, we forego prayer or Bible reading, uh, the place in which we find ourselves humbly kneeling, submission, humbly kneeling and finding, our, finding who we are, the reflection of the goodness of God in and through us. And the second one would be servanthood. Uh, servanthood. I've known way too many men in my life who uh, have, have not had this as a as a guardrail in their life. They have come into life with the expectation, uh, especially in some marriages, I may say, or the, even with their kids, that their kids were there to serve them, that their wives or 
their wives were there to serve them. S- servanthood is a, is a key. We read it. We read it in Genesis that God calls all mankind into, but to serve is to serve your family and to allow them to come into their own. So two guardrails that I believe guide a man to become intentional fathers. I think in this day and age, there may be many, many questions of, uh, and curiosities of, of the stereo, gender stereotypes that might offend others. I don't think what we're going to talk about will do that. In fact, I think what we're going to talk about cuts through all of that. And even so, if you desire to be an intentional father and an intentional man who's fathering others, the desire to disciple a child around you will never be lost, especially when you're doing it in the image of God. When you're leading them with an effort of love and an effort of desiring to disciple or develop them to a life of meaning and purpose, one of design that God desires for them, whether they're your son or daughter. In John Tyson's book, Intentional Fathers, he lists uh, five fathers that he has observed, and I think that they fit into some other paradigms that I have studied in the past, so I give them to you this morning as a quick snapshot. Not to point out people who are uh, necessarily uh, where, where you might go, aha, in psychology, there's these, uh, they warn you and you take Psych 101 that when you start to go through all the, all the symptoms and all the diagnosis of things, that you'll probably have these moments where you'll go, oh, that's me, or that's somebody else, right? You have these aha moments. Uh, there may be some, some of that happening here, uh, but I, I, I desire that when we get to the intentional fatherhood, that you would, you would see yourself more there, that you would hunger for that if one of these other areas fall on you a little bit harder than what you would like. I just warn. So he says that there is, what he's observed is there's the irresponsible father. This is the father who has zero involvement with his kids, someone who completely bails on them to the point that they don't even know who he is. This father takes no responsibility, provides no child support, contributes no meaningful support into the lives of his children. The irresponsible father, we, we have them. They are around us. Uh, our desire and drive is to see that they, they move into what God desires for them and their design. There's the ignorant father. This is the father who is torn by personal ambition He has the capability of doing better at his fathering, but instead he prioritizes his own job, career, and hobbies before all that God has designed for him to do. These binges of selfishness are often followed by guilt and feeble attempts to fix everything, but there is no stable sense of security or identity passed down to his children. Number three, Tyson talks about the inconsistent father this is the father who is torn by per, uh who is uh who's there but is is in and out he's not consistent in what he's doing yet he he's around more than the others and there just seems to be an inconsistency to him the involved father number four is this type of dad shows up at sporting events takes time to put porn filters on their kids devices gets a lot of things right, 
But because of the business of life and the failure to ask the right questions, he never seeks to understand specifically who his children are and why God gave them to him. This is a noble dad, but one haunted by the sense that there is something more, another layer of his parenting that he has not gotten to. Uh, I think when I've listened to uh, John speak about this parent, this is a, a parent who parents out of principle, not out of specifics. And you may pick that up. They don't know their child. Uh, they're individual children, and they don't know them well enough to be able to tailor their parenting and their conversations, what we're going to talk about in a few moments, to them. To them. I, I want to show you a, a stat as we move, before we move into the attentional father, uh, that is in his book. It, at the top, it says, I have a plan for how to guide, train, teach my son slash daughter to become a man or a woman. Uh, and this was taken of those who are followers of Jesus uh, and within a, you know, like a couple thousand fathers in this study. Uh, the U.S. Fathers of Sons, uh, they somewhat uh, strongly agree they 52%, they have a plan, they have devised a plan to help their child grow, develop, and become like Jesus. Uh, as it is with daughters, uh, they the strongly agree that they have this plan, it's only 43% for fathers. There, there are tons of data within this book that I'm going to recommend in a few moments to those of you who are interested that continue to back up the statistics of why and where we are at in terms of manhood and where we're at as, as fathers. Uh, I think it's rather interesting. Uh, there are 2% of the U.S. Uh, fathers that uh, they strongly disagree that they have a plan. They don't have a plan. And then when it comes to daughters, it is the same percentage. I just wanted to show you that quickly because I think it's a telling sign of uh, where we fall within the church, not outside the church, but where we fall inside the church when it comes to how to parent, how to father our children, sons and daughters, in an intentional way. So let's talk about the intentional father. Intentional father. The intentional father is deeply invested in discovering who his children are and how he can help them reach their redemptive potential. He seeks to understand the children God has given him and wants to form them into young persons who can fulfill their purpose. He sees parenting as central to his call before God and does it with all his heart, mind, and soul. This kind of father leaves a multi-generational blessing in the lives of his children, according to Tyson. Borrowing from uh, or using our passage of scripture, Proverbs 4.1, it says, listen, my sons, to a father's instructions. Pay attention and gain understanding. I think scripture and the Lord expects that fathers will take, a, take an intentional active participatory role in their children's lives. They will get to know their children individually and personally. Proverbs 4, 4 says, Then he taught me and he said to me, Take hold of my words with all your heart. Keep my commandments and you will live. Uh, can we actually as men and fathers say that the words that we have passed down, we want our kids to grab a hold of and live 
to the fullness of not only this life, but into eternity too. I think that's important for us to kind of think about on this Father's Day. Are we developing them into roles that we know that they will flourish into? Deuteronomy, in chapter 11, there's other places it says this, and I'll get to the verse that's on the, on the screen. It says, so commit yourselves wholeheartedly, he's talking, uh, Joshua's talking to them, uh, to these words of mine, tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead, Moses is, I mean, uh, forehead is a reminder, teach them to your children, talk about them when you are at home and when you're on the road and when you're going to bed and when you're getting up, write them as on the doorposts of your house, on your gates, so that as long as the sky remains above the earth, you and your children may flourish in the land the Lord swore to give your ancestors. Be careful to obey all these commands I am giving you. Show love to the Lord your God by walking in his ways and holding tightly to him. We are commanded, not only in Proverbs, but my point is we're commanded over and over again by the Lord through his word that we are to take an active role in developing our sons and daughters as fathers and as families. That we have a a duty, a responsibility, and an opportunity to help them thrive. Not just survive, but to thrive in the world in which he has given to us to claim and to rule and subdue over. Genesis. What are some of those areas in which we need to be developing as fathers and as men in order to help our children, our sons and daughters. Number one is a disciple. They, we need to teach our children to be a disciple first and foremost before anything. Ultimately, our, our call is that we assist our sons and daughters to become like Jesus. That's our call. Not to, not to just be successful in the world's eyes, but to be a disciple, one who loves God with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength. While there is a gaping father wound in our culture, of which I alluded to a few moments ago, there is also a discipleship gap in our churches. If you were to go into a church, if I were to ask you this morning to raise your hand, those who have been intentionally discipled, how many of you would raise your hand and say you have been? Uh, Statistically, the number would be quite low. A few months ago, we even had conversations around this uh, in my vocation with our pastors. Uh, I've had one-on-one conversations with other pastors of how many of them have been intentionally discipled prior to coming into the pastorate. And most of us, most who are even in the pastorate have not been deliberately, intentionally discipled. Yet as fathers raising men and women to become like Jesus, this is our number one goal. Some of us didn't have fathers to be able to do that, and I understand that, but we are called to disciple those that God has given to us as a gift to be like him, to to be trained fully on the word of God and in the ways and practices of him. Answering questions like this, who is God? Uh, What is the gospel? What's the biblical story? How do I read the Bible? Where's Leviticus? 
oftentimes, we often leave this work, this discipleship, to the people in Sunday school or kid zone or student ministry. But as fathers, this is our role. This is our call. This is ours to do. I think helping our sons and daughters to become a friend and a lover is vastly important in our day. To, to learning what that means. We, we, fa- we parent families, and it is our duty to train up our young, our, our daughters and our sons to know what it is to love, love like God loves, to honor respect and to value one another, uh, to, to teach them what it means to have a, have a man who respects them in their life or a woman who will honor them and respect them. This is our duty, to be able to see those values before they are married, before they say, I do and I will, and those things become difficult to become a part of this whole covenant that God has laid before us. If you're raising young ladies in your home, it's a wonderful opportunity as a father to demonstrate to them, as I said, what, how a man should treat, uh, treat them and how you treat your wife is a reflection of that. If you're tra- uh, training up young men, it's one of those places to, uh, to quickly and succinctly address the issue of you know, making a female into an object and not seeing her in the, in the beauty of who she is and what God has made her as a sister in Christ. We're called, I think, to also raise up leaders. And, and, I, and I, I feel the pushback. Some of you are like, well, I, I'm not a leader. I'm not gonna stand up in front of people. But Jesus has called us to be the salt and light of the earth, wherever we're at. And it's out of that in which we want to raise up our sons and daughters to be the salt and light, to be leaders in their places and spaces, whether it be work, in their homes, on their block, to be able to share Jesus, to to lead. You don't have to be a CEO, but it's the core of a leader is somebody who takes responsibility for themselves and for their future. The core of it is just, is just realizing who they are and then coming into that future of what they are. It's, it's, not a, it's not blaming others for other things, right? It's accepting responsibility and not passively blaming Adam and Eve for others' things. It's, it's rising up and taking ownership. It's a lot more... <laughs> than what we often think. It's not leading something or speaking in front of something. A leader is somebody who takes responsibility for themselves and leads out. I think we have a wonderful opportunity to teach our sons and daughters what it means to be a brother and sister in Christ. Brother and sister in Christ. We, in this church, use that very, very sparingly. There are a few of us that pass it back and forth, but we use it sparingly. But to truly understand what it means to be a a brother and sister in a community of faith is essential in these days. It's a place where we cultivate friends, and, and for many of us, we cultivate family because our family are not our faith family often. It's one of those places we we 
demonstrate, we learn, and we live out what it means to forgive, give grace, extend mercy. We learn to confront without being judgmental. Uh, it's, it's a brotherhood and a sisterhood in these spaces that gives us the opportunity to flourish in other places inside this realm we call the community of faith. Uh, we're, as Proverbs 4 has already said, we're to raise up uh, men and women that are wise. That are wise. Can I just say this without... Uh, I think you would agree, it may be in a different way, but we live in a land where fools roam. <sighs> right? And a steward of the children that have been given to us as fathers and as men around us, we have to teach them, we have to learn maybe ourselves what it is, the wise ways. And it's, it may be as simple as this in our day. How are you using your time? I mean, teaching your 13-year-old to 18-year-old how to use their time wisely will only pay off when they leave, right? How are they using their money teaching your children uh, what it means about compound interest? Yeah, real practical things, not, not just always the fluff, you know, the, not the fluff, but the spiritual aspects. I, I think I've heard it from a few of the guys that meet on Tuesday mornings. They're like, they don't have home ec anymore, and, you know, and they definitely do not have uh, basic, uh, you know, computing or uh, bank balancing classes anymore. We assume that somebody's going to teach them, but where? Right? I mean, it's just taking some of these things and practically thinking through who's going to do this and when are you as a father and a family going to do this? When are you going to implement these things? What about school? How they look and view at school, view school, not as something to ditch. John Tyson quit school, by the way. He had to go back, but he, he ditched school. So he speaks out of this in his book. Like, I had to teach my son that school's vital, it's important. And there are places it's going to be hard and difficult, but that's part of life and part of learning what it means to be a, for his son, a man, and for those of us who have ladies in the house, a woman. How about this one? And you may say, well, this doesn't fit women so much, or ladies, or young girls, but how about a warrior? How about a warrior? Now, let me, let me offer this up. I would say that men probably need this developed maybe a little bit more than women, but I'm open to the conversation, very open, since I had three girls that I raised. I believe that behind the, the warrior terminology is not a fight necessarily, but a cause, a cause that is greater than themselves. Without a cause, our young men and some of our young ladies are giving themselves away to video game gaming ad infinitum. They're before screens continually. There's not a development of a, of a cause, but just to waste the time away. We need to develop this. Uh, or for maybe a whole rounded view for both uh, the young ladies and the young men, we give ourselves away to social media, which then gives ourselves away to comparison, which then devalues the very image of God within them. 
Do you see where it goes? When we do not start to speak into these places and spaces that are often, are, are, they're, you know, they're li- we see them and they're happening, but we, they give away to a slippery slope. They have a tendency to devalue the design of God within them if we do not intentionally take the opportunity to speak into these places and space. So what, it, what is it? Where would you start with the warrior one? How about start with truth? How do you identify and know what is true? There are three, uh, two other guys in my discipleship band. Uh, and one of my buddies, his kids are in the process of really considering what Christianity is all about. One of the books that uh, this other friend of mine offered up was how to how to understand truth, a, a book that they read that he's read that he was advocating, saying, "Hey, why don't you read this and help help develop how you see what truth really is, how it's measured." I would say that that's a that's a, a young lady or a young man's uh, goal. If you're raising, especially if you're targeting this idea of a of raising and intentionally do it from the time they're 13 to 18 years old, raising up, how do they identify? How do they walk through it? I'm raising a lot more questions than I'm answering, and it's on purpose, because you're the one that has to answer it for your individual child. You're the one that has to walk it through. What does my son need? What does my daughter need? What does my grandchild need? Granddaughter or grandson? What they need is you intentionally living and giving into them. Joshua 24, 15 says this. We may be familiar with the passage. Uh, he's, uh, he's, he's moving along, and he says, if, uh, would you prefer the gods of your ancestors serve beyond the Euphrates, or will it be the gods of the Amorites and the land you now live? But Joshua says, but as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. It's like, are you going to bow to the gods that are around you? Are you going to serve God? And and is your family going to serve God with intention? Beyond principle. Principles are great. They help us to get to the moving to the intention, but beyond principle, beyond the inconsistent with the regular. How do we do this? Especially in the day and age where what I see and what I hear and what I pray about for every single one of us is that we're time, our time is already spent in so many other places and spaces that we can't even think of carving out uh, intentional, we can think of it, but we don't know how it's going to happen to carve out intentional time to spend with our son, our daughter, and if we have multiples, that we would spend time with them individually to be able to know them and to be able to tailor these conversations to them. How do we do this? May I just say that I think it goes back to Matthew 6.33. Seek the Lord. Seek the kingdom and his righteousness and he'll have all these other things 
to it, that if you dedicate yourself to the Lord, if you consecrate yourself to the Lord, that he will show you these places and spaces. He may even tell you or nudge you to say no to the things that you thought were important and to move into other places. Dedicate. Dedicate. I, I think it's this idea of devoting ourselves to what the Lord has already stated what he said is true. The word is true. Uh, Doug read for us from Proverbs that we're to seek wisdom. Well, we dedicate ourselves to seeking the Lord who gives wisdom and will give us that, the ways and the places to do that. He's, God has knit together each one of our children. He knows them. He loves them, and he has designed them specifically. It's our, it's our, our wonderful privilege and opportunity to, to dedicate ourselves to knowing him, to give us the wisdom to know our children wisely and rightly. It's also our opportunity to dedicate ourselves to him, to be the best fathers and men that he has designed us to be in the place and space we are. I think it's also consecrating. It's not just dedicating or devoting ourselves. I mean, one could say they're replicating each other. But consecrating, think about this. We take the bread and the cup, ordinary bread and cup, and maybe this is how you're feeling right now. Maybe this is how you're thinking about yourself. It's just ordinary things. But when we consecrate the elements with intention, we set them aside for the Lord's work. We set them aside and we say that they're holy for the Lord. So not only do we devote ourselves, but Lord, we'd say we want to consecrate this very, what we believe is very ordinary to be extraordinarily infilled with the Holy Spirit, empowered to do what we could never do on our own. I don't know about you. There, Kathy asked me yesterday. We were, went out for a meal, and she said, thinking about fatherhood, have you, do you have any regrets? I'm like, absolutely. Absolutely. I have places and spaces that, of times, that I just go, whoa, what was I thinking? And so as a, a father to other men and fathers, I encourage you just to continue to lay yourself, consecrating and dedicating yourself before the Lord. We'll have, a, we'll have an opportunity in a few moments to be prayed over, to dedicate and consecrate ourselves again. I'm reminded it's a daily thing. It's not a one-time off. It's a daily thing. I, I want to, before I move to that, but I, before we move to that section, I want to... Uh, uh, just show you the book that I've been uh, referencing. It's literally called The Intentional Father, A Practical Guide to Raise Sons of Courage and Character. Now, for those of you who have young ladies in the house like I did, I read the book, and I think that you can easily convert what he's talking about, sons, into daughters and make it your own. I, I like what it says here. It's not, good, not enough to hope our sons will become good men. We need them to be good at being men, this book shows how fathers, grandfathers, and male mentors can lead the way. So this is my, 
this is outside of dedicating and consecrating ourselves to the Lord and then walking with intention. Uh, if anyone has an interest in this book, uh, reading it, uh, digesting it, and talking about it, the connect card that's in the pew in front of you, just take that connect card out and let me know because I would love to journey with you through this book. Not that I have all the answers, but because we can journey together, we can encourage one another to consider what this would look like in your space, in your place, for one another. Uh, I think there's, there's, there's wonder in community. There's, uh, there's power in that opportunity of community. By the way, here's the book. So it's, it's not that big, and it's really an e- it is quite an easy read. Uh, just like I have not filled in blanks, John Tyson doesn't fill in the blanks. He wants you to do the hard lifting. Lastly, I want to end with this. The verse that was read earlier. My son, daughter, pay attention to what I say. Turn your ear to my words. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to one's whole body. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Father, as we, as we transition to singing, Lord, would you ping our hearts by your Holy Spirit? And as you do, Lord, would you allow us to be surrendered to you, submitted to you as men and as fathers, to play the role that you have called us to do. You have designed us to be. For the specific families that we're in, and yes, those, those young ladies and young men around us 